Welcome to this week's edition of the Rock and Roll Ghost Podcast. This week we have Michelin starred chef Curtis Duffy, uh, his new restaurant ever, opened last year during the pandemic, and he's uh, just working hard to make sure to keep everything afloat, I'm gathering. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. <laughs> how, how, it's been quite a challenge. I, the first question I have to ask is, I mean, just from opening to cruise, trying to cruise through this, what what has that been like uh, in terms of work? What has that been like in terms of emotional stress? I mean, what what is all that? What is what is all the behind the scenes things basically in a, in a nutshell of how that how that's gone? Yeah, well, when we opened uh, last year, July of last year. Um, you know, we were in construction for about three months, four months when pandemic hit. And then we decided we were going to continue to push through this whole this whole uh, pandemic because we didn't know how long it was going to be around. Of course, nobody did. And, you know, we started we just finished construction. And then when it was time to open the restaurant, you know, the city had a 25 percent occupancy in, in the restaurants for indoor dining. And we decided, let's go ahead and do it. Well, fast forward three months, and then the entire city shut down again. So yeah. no more indoor dining. We had to pivot and look at other ventures and, and other projects to see if we could, you know, maintain some staff and keep some of our staff employed. You know, at the time we had 40 plus staff members that, you know, we had to let go. And, you know, we decided to keep a handful of them, our key people, our management team to, to stay on and, and do some to-go moments uh restaurant all the restaurants pivoted to do you know carry out food and things like that so that's what we had to do and you know it was challenging you know here it is your dream restaurant again and now you have to close the doors for who knows how long so yeah it was emotionally challenging and stressful and but you know we came out on the other side uh, a much stronger restaurant much stronger team as well how difficult was it to get those people back once uh, you were able to go back to in indoor dining again? Well, you know, I would say 95% of them came back. Everybody was really excited to, to start working again. Um, the challenge now is actually getting people to want to work that currently are not working, you know, so finding staff is very challenging for the restaurant industry extremely challenging but if for you guys do you think it's because of your reputation that it might have been i, I don't want to say easier but less difficult uh because of the high uh level you guys are known for performing it yeah i mean look anything in life worth achieving has to be a lot of hard work behind it and you know um the restaurant at our level is very demanding on you know, physically working, uh, mentally being there, um, we expect a lot. But in return, I think you leave a restaurant as, at our caliber as a cook um, with with a lot of great things in your pocket as well. It's just up to that individual. To, how hungry are they? Do they want it? And we're finding out that a lot of people don't want it. Yeah. It's a lot easier to doing sitting around the house doing nothing collecting a check from the government than to uh, pursue something great in life. And it's a shame. 
but um, how how has your staffing been for you guys? Have you had to replace staff significantly since uh, reopening? I mean, we we went through our growing pains, yeah. And I think even if pandemic wasn't there, we would have. We, we we you know that's that's a normal restaurant moment where mm-hmm. you over hire in the beginning and you weed out the people that are you just know are not going to make it or they think that they want to be there but they don't really want to be there uh, and those people find their ways of just getting out of it and you know that's that's pretty normal when you open a restaurant and you know we did that we're still kind of doing that actually you know some people really think that they want to be there and they don't want to be there yeah why, why do you so think that do you think they want they're attracted to Attracted, attracted to the, the Michelin stars, the the. What do you, why do you think that they have the desire to apply, but then don't actually end up working out? What What do you think that accounts for? Well, you know, um, I've, I always say like the restaurant, like ever, and like what Grace was, and you know the French Laundry, and all these great restaurants around the world, they look like this beautiful shiny unicorn that sits over there in the corner and it's and it's going to be an amazing place to work in and for the most part yeah it is but it's called work for a reason you still you know at the end of the day we're still we still have to physically work we might be just this great shiny thing over there but at the end of the day we have to pay the bills there's things that need to get done that that are very demanding and <laughs> shortly after getting there that that glamour wears off for a lot of people and it becomes a job and you know it's up to that individual how how hungry are they for that you know and the ones that stick around are the ones that end up doing a lot of great things for us yeah and then moving on to do great things of their own yeah the 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 perception to me would be something like you guys or Lydia or any any two or three especially two or three star Michelin restaurant is just there's more focus on you guys, not just for Michelin, you know, to retain that, uh, or the diamonds or what have you. It's, uh, you know, perception from actual diners themselves. If they see something off nowadays, that's going to, you know, spread through social media like a wildfire. So if you if somebody says one thing one day and then two weeks later, somebody else says something else, you know that becomes kind of a problem so it's it's a matter of finding the right person to be able to achieve that level of commitment day in and day out which it's obvious that you and you know somebody like michael and you know some you know probably some of your primary staff are you know that you know and have worked with before are you know in that in that uh frame of mind but not everybody, right. you know, it, it's a sort of thing like just with the Olympics, you know, to use a, a recent example. I mean, you just have to be always at the top of your game in order to achieve. Right. And yeah, so, there's no there's no rest for the wicked, right, is what they say. Right. Um, you know, you're you're always every every experience, every guest that walks in the restaurant, most of the time is their first time being there. So their expectations are extremely high already. And, you know, it's our job to exceed those expectations, every single guest, every table that's there every night, you know, and it could be just what we're doing exceeds their expectations. Um, but there are some very savvy diners out there that 
you know, have been and traveled the world and eaten at every restaurant you can imagine. And they're coming to us to see what we have. So yeah, it's, it's up to us to exceed their expectations. Yeah. I mean, ordinarily in another place, uh, you people, you know, some, they can weather, you know, they're busy. They're seating, say three, 500 guests, whatever at night, you know, that's, right. that's a lot different than the mic microscope. You guys kind of get put under when you're doing, uh, a lot less, a lot less covers, you know, and you're asking people to pay a certain amount of money for and stay for like the time. And, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's something that I've seen some other high-end places that have kind of gone through where they've, um, in accordance to critical critics at, at least, you know, have slipped over the years because either, who knows, they're, they're relying on their reputation or somebody's not holding them to the standards. And, and that's a difficult thing. You, it's just, is it, do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by the, the need for perfection? Um, it can, yeah, yeah, I do actually, it can be overwhelming. Um, I, I always have a mental check in with myself on a daily basis, making sure that I, I feel like, you know, today has to be better than it was yesterday. And it could be the very littlest things, but it, something has to be better than yesterday. And it's up to me to, to make that happen. You know, um, you know, I have, uh, you know, somebody asked me the other day, what do you do to motivate your staff or to inspire your staff is what the question was. And, you know, it's not my job to inspire anyone. My job is to inspire myself and then lead by example. Um, you know, my job is to set standards extremely high and hope that my staff around me and the people that I surround myself and the, and the people that I employ try to exceed those standards every single day. That's my goal. That's my job as, as a leader of the restaurant and the face of the restaurant. Um, I set the tone every day. I have to set the tone every day. And I tell that to a lot of my, my young management team is they, they have to come in there and set the tone every single day. They have to set the mood of the restaurant. And if that mood is very lackadaisical, then the entire staff is going to be like that. You know, if, if you're in there pushing every single day and, you know, trying to be better at everything, then it's infectious. Everyone around you wants to do that, you know? So I take a lot of pride in, you know, that capacity of, you know, uh, that mental game that I play with myself. I think that's how I deal with it. Yeah. Do you have days where you faltered and, and, and if so, how, how do you, bring yourself back up to not let that become like, like a, say a baseball, you know, player with a losing streak in terms of pitching or hitting or whatever. Is there, is there a, any time when something happens where it, maybe it's a personal thing that throws you off your game and you have to readjust. How, if, is there been something like that that's happened at all? That you yeah, I mean, it happens all the time. You know, if I'm going through, something personally that affects you know obviously the way that um i might react to something in the restaurant maybe you know maybe i can overlook a few things you know i've learned in my uh, get as a, as i'm getting older and you know the years go by as managing people you know i learned to pick my battles with a lot of things 
because if I didn't, I would be nitpicking everything and I wouldn't have any staff to be around because they would all quit. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I would drive them crazy because I'm, a, I'm I, I look at things uh, in a different way than most people do. And, you know, my eye is trained to see the negative and see what's wrong with the situation and because I want it to be perfect. Right. So I, I see a lot of greatness, but I also see the, the faults in it too. And if I picked on every single little thing, uh, my staff would quit. So yeah, if I'm going through something personal and maybe, maybe I would make a decision to, you know, um, react differently than I normally would, you know? So yeah, I have my, I have my moments. I'm human too. So yeah. 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 I have to imagine, you know, um, with regards to, um, you said being older and, and having gone through a few restaurants now where you were at the helm, you know, with avenues and, and grace and now ever, which is as much yours probably than any other place before yeah. I, w I would guess. Um, 100%. I know what a heartbreak was uh, with what happened with grace um, because you guys had just achieved the, you know, the three stars um, you know, and we wanted to keep that going. And I, I just know the situation was untenable, but yeah, in regards to managing people, what do you see differently about yourself in terms of, um, your past? And now we're, are you able to be a little bit more, um, more, I guess, of a coach sort of thing in terms of bringing someone up? in went that you know is capable of doing it but might need you know some other some other boost from you do you are you are you able to be a little more personally involved to some degree with with, with people than maybe you used to be yeah yeah um i've always had a great mind of you know i think it's important that we we give back and you know part of giving back means mentoring the young chefs that come through the kitchen or even somebody in the front of the house that, you know, you see through, well, I see a lot of people that come through the kitchen that I wish they would never even be in the kitchen. You know, what are you even doing here? Um, not necessarily in my kitchen, but in kitchens all over the world. I've, I've traveled the world quite a bit. Uh, and you also see great people in the kitchen and think to yourself, man, if I had a year with that guy, he would be, he has so much potential and or woman, you know, they have so much more, they have a lot more potential. They just shine out in, in kitchens. And yeah, you, you tend to gravitate towards those people and you, you know, you make it a little bit more personal than say somebody you don't think really has the talent or the, the, the passion behind it to, to really go far and make, make something great of themselves. And uh, yeah, I mean, Back in the day, I used to yell. I used to scream a lot, and I don't do that anymore. I mean, yeah. my days at Grace probably I stopped that at Avenues. Like I, I probably raised my voice in the kitchen. Uh, I would say it ever we've been open for well a year now. I've probably raised my voice maybe once or twice, and it's yeah. really not even that. Because, you know, I, I feel like if, if you get to, if the chef gets to a point of screaming and yelling, there's a lot that leads up to that moment that needs fixed. And if I get to that point, I have to look at like, 
what led to that, you know, what led to that, uh, me screaming at something to that point. And there's something in there that's not working. So let's fix it as a group, as a, as a team. And, right. you know, I, I just feel like screaming and yelling doesn't really help. Right. Well, you know, is that, is that a, a thing of just from eight, do you think maturing from, did you, have you gone through any kind of therapy at all over the years to kind of, um, to fix yourself so that you're able to be more in tune with what what's going on and maybe even your own anger. I mean, what, what, it, what it, do you think is the um, what's behind the evolution? No, I think a lot of it is maturity. Um, I certainly, I didn't get any help with it. I, I do, um, you know, like my mental capacity is like, look, I want to be better every single day. So not only in the kitchen, but just mentally, physically. Um, that mindset for me is that. So knowing screaming and yelling didn't get me anywhere. Um, it wasn't really because it was an anger management thing. It was just, you know, you you learned. I learned that in the kitchen as, as a young chef growing up. I had people that I worked for that that's how they managed was screaming and yelling at you, throwing stuff at you. And those days are, I think are long gone, but I know it happens in some kitchens still, but I just, you know, I, I look at, I read a lot of books on motivation and self-help and discipline and things like that. And I think those are the things that kind of changed my mindset. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, because you brought up the fact of the kind of atmosphere you grew up in, and it was kind of, I think you guys, like, you know, and I'm thinking of, like, you and, and Graham, Elliot, and I, you know, people of a certain generation were really kind of the, the of the new age of, of pioneering cooks were among the last to really just train in those kind of, high extraordinarily high pressure extraordinarily toxic and extraordinarily at times uh for ferocious tempers yeah yeah um and and it, it's a it's a certain thing i've thought about and not not i've, I've worked at a bit so my examples i worked at a bakery in the 90s um for six years and i had a miserable time throughout i Honestly, I didn't really want to be there, but I didn't know how to get out. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't finish college, that kind of thing. But I had a, a, a terrible relationship with my boss. Uh, sure. He was constantly just, he was an angry person. And not that I didn't screw up sometimes, but it was just, it was um, kind of like being in an abusive relationship to some extent. Yeah. And I didn't know how to get out of it and until finally one day I just, I just put in my notice and said, I'll give you a week. I, I can't do this. I, I, yeah. I can't do this crap anymore. Um, and I got out, but that, that took a lot, lot to get to that point to realize I'm, I'm not cut out to either do this work or I'm definitely not cut out to work with this person anymore, you know, and the, the culture has changed so much and there's a lot, there's a lot that needed changing, of course. Um, have you experienced anything that you've seen whether it be um, somebody being overly physical or sexually harassing in, in, in your kitchens, and have you had to deal with that yourself as an as a owner? Um, 
Not as an owner, uh, you know, as growing up through the kitchens and, and working in multiple different restaurants throughout my career. Yeah. I've seen a lot of physical, um, a lot of physicality amongst the chef and cooks, uh, the chef and the, the front weight team, you know, a lot of back in the day, it was always the front of the house against the back of the house. You right. know, most restaurants had that mentality and, you know, I have no idea why it was just, it was just a thing. Uh, now it's not, well, in some restaurants still, yes, but right. that's not the culture that we, we create. Um, but back in the day, it was always the front against the back. So it was very easy for the chef to just lose his mind over mistakes that would happen in the front and sometimes physically get after that person. Right. You know, so I don't and, miss those days at all. <laughs> no, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, what is the relationship? I mean, you've worked with Michael uh, Muser, your, your GM, for a long yeah. time now. What is how? How would you describe that relationship um, as it's evolved over the years? And do you think you could do this job without even without somebody like Michael around uh, at this point? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't want to do an, I wouldn't want to do a restaurant without Michael involved. You know, he brings so much to the table. He's an incredibly passionate guy. Um, you know, his sense of humor is like no one else. And a lot of the time that's the, those moments that just small moments of Michael could get you through the day and could get a lot of people through the day. Um, he's, you know, he's an incredible father. He's a, he's a great friend and, you know, he's a great business partner. And, he, you know, I couldn't see myself doing another restaurant without him involved some way, somehow, you know, I, I, we work really well together. We always have um, since day one. We just hit instant friendship, like we had been friends for thirty years. Yeah. And you know, it, when you can say something to somebody without any worries at all, that, that I think that makes a great business partner. I can say whatever I want to him, and <laughs> know that he would take it with a grain of salt, and we would be laughing about it two days later. Yeah. Do you yeah. feel that uh, in some ways he? Um, picks up maybe where you might, in other in other ways, be lacking. Do you feel like you you complement each other well in a certain way to make sure that the restaurant runs? Uh, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, he's very ambitious with the guests. He loves being in front of them. He loves. He's a very theatrical guy. So, I'm the guy that's uh, in the kitchen quiet. I want uh, that's that's my domain, and and <laughs> yeah. I like to be in the kitchen quiet I'm, I'm not really guest friendly no i'm not saying i'm not guest friendly because i'm i am a people person but you know he's he's super people person right. and and you know he's charismatic i'm more quiet and reserved he's just outgoing and and flamboyant if you will and and it's all great it works so yeah. you know he's able to do that i do my thing and it works well yeah it sounds like a a good Good, good balance to make sure that you know everything kind of sails along accordingly yeah totally. Um, i don't want to take up too much more of your time but i do want to touch on w one area and that is after all of these years and being at the high level you are the uh, the 
the innovations, the new menu ideas and, and winnowing them down, you know, start from the start to where they end up on the menu. And what kind of, has that gotten easier with time? Has that gotten more difficult? Uh, especially when tasting menus have become a bigger thing um, as time has gone on. And again, with the, the renewed, the extreme focus in the last 20 years, through food writing and social media the, where what is what is your place now in terms of your head of creating new men, you know new menu items well for me it starts with the ingredient that's where you know it starts with the products before anything first and foremost before technique comes into play anything like that it, it's all about you know what's in season where are we getting it from you know, and then we go down this path of exploring what do we want to do with, uh, you know, um, artichokes this year. You know, let's let's just pick that as a point. You know, we get artichokes. You know, I conceptually will get it down on paper. And once it's on paper, you know, we start to think of like, okay, we're picking artichokes. So what are the three supporting elements? The, you know, three, this, that's really as far as I'll go is three to four, maybe sometimes four, but... Mostly I say three supporting elements that that I think that will eat well with artichokes. And then once we have those three flavors, we then take each each one of those ingredients and try to explore it to its fullest. So if we're using artichokes, well, what part of the artichoke can we use and what can we, you know, respectfully use, you know, is in terms of, you know, if you're thinking of um using you know pork uh, how much of the pork can you use well you want to utilize all of it because you're respecting the, the, the animal at that point you're respecting the product and it's the same thing that i think of when i think of vegetables or fruit it's like you know if, if we can use fennel what parts of the fennel can we use well we can use from the bulb all the way to seed you know and every life you know every growth of it so that's important to me as well so that's how we explore those flavor profiles. And then, you know, it's important for me that as a chef, I give you something that is very familiar to you. So you're not just eating something and have no idea what it is. You know, to me, that's, that's, that's not really, uh, that's, that doesn't excite me. I know it excites some chefs to give you something that you have no idea what you're eating, but that to me, I like that sense of familiarity from a guest perspective, because I think right. you can enjoy it more. You know, if you're eating a beet, I want you to know you're eating a beet and not think it's a, it's a blood orange, <laughs> you know? Right. So, um, yeah, that's how it starts. But, you know, everybody has writer's block. I have writer's block, if you will. It's, it's right. a sense of like, you know, so sometimes you don't feel creative and sometimes you don't, you know, want to do a menu change, but, you know, you know, the menu's coming up. We have to stay ahead of, you know, we have to think about right now, even though we're in summertime and we're bountiful, lots of fruits and vegetables out there and all these things. But we know in a month or two that it's going to be cold in Chicago. And here we are in the fall. Now we're thinking yeah. of pumpkins and, and squashes and things like that. And it's hard to really want to think about those things when you have plums and peaches and cherries and all these great things in front of you it's like well, i don't want to think about pumpkins right now 
because I'm <laughs> yeah. enjoying what I have right here. But if, if we don't do that practice, then all of a sudden we become, it becomes a scramble to change because now you can't get beaches and now you can't get all these beautiful things from the summertime because they're gone. Yeah. And yeah. now you're playing that scramble game and I don't like, the, I don't like cooking um, spontaneously. I, I, you know, spontaneity for me in the kitchen is not what it should be. I, right. I don't like that. So, well, how, how much, I mean, so obviously you don't really start the onset of new menu creation until you get to kind of where the, the point we are now in a season where you're looking towards that you're going to have to change it. So when, when that starts, um, who, who is all involved in, from your idea, you write it down first, then you get who involved in, in the kitchen to start working on it with you. Yeah. So basically um, that idea of written down on paper can come from myself, my chef, the cuisine, sous chef or pastry chef. So the four of us could sit down and brainstorm over, you know, I could walk, we could sit down and have a meeting and say, okay, here's the next menu. And here are the 10 things that I want to focus on each one of these menus. So, okay, we're coming up in fall. We want Matsutake mushrooms to be a dish. We want pumpkin to be a dish. You know, we want, uh, the list goes on, right? Name it, name it. It's there. So then we can take that idea as, as a group and just pick one of those ingredients and start exploring it there. And we can write down some ideas. And, you know, once the ideas are down on paper, then it's, then it's up to myself and, and my team, Justin and Richie and Lucas to then take the ideas down on paper and start creating the dish. Now that's, that's when it really gets exciting because just because it's written on paper, never means that's the way it's going to be. You know, you start messing with a pumpkin and maybe you cut it one way, which would inspire you to use it differently. Or maybe it looks really unique when I cut it this way. And maybe I want to grill it instead of, you know, roast it this time or, you know, you, you just, you get the product in hands and that's when you, you're able to really start imagining the dish come to life. And once you get it to a certain point, we eat it. After we eat it, we, we dissect it. Does it need, you know, what does it need? What, what can we take away from it? What can, do we need to add anything to it until it gets to a point where I'm actually happy with the dish. That's when it would actually make its way to the menu. Yeah. What, what, when you're in this type, this environment of, of menu planning for the next season, what kind of time each day do you guys as a group dedicate uh, to the planning? Um, sometimes it'll be, you know, a couple hours a day. Sometimes it'll be none at all. You yeah. know, it could go, it could go a week or two without even talking about, uh, the next menu. Um, you know, I, I write, I have a notepad with me probably 24 hours a day, almost. Yeah, <laughs> I'm always writing things down. Yeah. It, things come to you. You got to write it down or you write it in your phone or, you know, I woke up the other day from a dream thinking of um, the weirdest thing, which was uh, squash stems. And I had a dream that I was mowing the grass and I mowed over this enormous squash branch stem that was hollow on the inside. And we decided that 
Hey, I woke up thinking like, what if I, that squash stem was a centerpiece for my private dining room and we filled it full of soup or consomme and all the guests had straws that were made from the squash stems and they were drinking this, the soup from, and that was the centerpiece. And that's interesting. I, I ended up going, I wrote all that stuff down. I ended up sitting down with, with my team and told them about the dream. And because, you know, I had squash stems on my brain. We were talking about it weeks before. And we have, we have cooked with them in the past. For right. some reason, this became like this part of my dream. But, you know, the moments like that, you got to write them down. So I've always carried a right. notepad with me or it's in my phone. And, you know, that's that's where the new menu ideas come from. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, I just got a couple quick questions with regards to current climate. And then I, I, I'll be able to let you go. But right now, are you guys what capacity are you at in, in ever for serving diners? So we're a hundred percent open. Mm -hmm. We're averaging anywhere from 60 to 70 guests a night, okay. five nights a week. And that's, um, that's a great number for us. You know, yeah. I don't really, you know, you, you, you made a comment earlier about, you know, a restaurant that serves three to 400 people a night compared to, uh, somebody like us who does you know 50 to 70 a night but the amount of food and the amount of china that leaves our kitchen and into the dining room exceeds what a 300 seat restaurant does every night so we're okay. you know we're even busier you don't you put a 15 course menu in front of you each guest sees 15 a minimum of 15 dishes right. pieces of china stemware uh silverware I mean, we're putting out thousands of plates a night. Yeah. You know, if you did the math on that, there's thousands of plates uh, with with everything behind that. So it's it's just as busy as a 300 seat restaurant. It's just different yeah. capacity, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, getting back to that, my point with that was more about the amount of people that could um, that could leave comments. We were talking. About oh yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. more what that was about because they could brush off maybe five here and there more than you could sure. brush off five. You know, that that was what yeah. was there. And now with regards to this is kind of a hot topic right now with people talking about it. Where are you at on the idea of vaccinated guests only? You know, that's a great question because I saw New York had just passed um, that you have to show that you're vaccinated to actually sit inside of a dining room. You know, we, we internally discussed it for the last few days ourselves. And I, I think the mayor or the governor will probably do the follow suit with that. And we won't have a choice to, we'll just have to follow suit because, you know, First and foremost, it's, it's it's the guest safety is what we're and, and our employee safety is most important. Our team is fully vaccinated and everybody that we hire is fully vaccinated or is in a process of being vaccinated. So um, we want safety as much as everybody else. You know, we, we were the first we we're the first restaurant in Chicago to put the mask back on before it was even mandated. So. You know, we try to lead lead our industry as well with doing the right things uh, for our guests and for our employees. Yeah. And if if, it, if, it, if we have to go down that route of 
checking everybody's vaccination card before they walk down and turning people away that don't have it, then we'll do that as well. I mean, if, if that's what is needed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, you're, it's hard to get around the law. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, who's going to lose is the restaurant because then they would get fined for it. Let's just say somebody does a mystery shop and they're not vaccinated or they don't have a card and we let them in. Maybe that's an undercover health inspector or whatever. Who knows? Right. And then the restaurant gets hit with it. Yeah. 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 Not only do we get the fine, but then now we get this reputation. I'm not really giving a shit. Yeah. Which is not what we do. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, and my final question is a very lighthearted question. You're open five nights a week. What does a Curtis Duffy do when it's, it is two days off? Uh, you have children, so I'm sure you yeah. spend as much time as you possibly can with them. Uh, but if you're not if you're not with your children, what is a what is a free day for Curtis Duffy look like? Yeah, I mean, if my wife is in town, I'm either here or in Miami, with, uh, trying to spend as much time as I can with my family, with my wife. Um, I enjoy, you know, I enjoy outside stuff. So I enjoy riding my bike. I love yeah. motorcycles. Yeah. Um, if there's concerts, I'm going to live shows. I'll do whatever I can do to, you know, it's very important for me to like mentally check out too. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a recharge moment for me. So if I can get on a motorcycle and, you know, blast down the highway for a few hours, I'm, I'm going to do that because that is, that's feeding me. You know, we're in the hospitality business. We're always hospitable to everyone else, but very rarely do we take care of ourselves mentally right. and physically. And I think that's an incredibly important thing for, for a chef or somebody uh, managing a, a group of people every day is you have to be able to physically and mentally take care of yourself and to, to then be able to do that and take care of them. Yeah. And, you know, recharging for me is those moments, you know, just getting out, enjoying myself and, yeah. you know, my family as well. Awesome. All right. Well, Curtis, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. Uh, the rest of pleasure is ever in Chicago. It's currently at two Michelin stars. It's gotten rave reviews from uh, the critics that have gone to see it and they're, they're open five nights a week and they're wide open uh, and they're welcoming you, welcome you again to, uh, to dine. So um, again, thank you for taking the time today. I wish you guys continued success. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Oh, same here. Thank you. You have a good one. You too. Thanks so much. Bye.